This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Tammy Bruce. I'm Juan Williams. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, June 15th, 2023. I'm Lisa Brady. Running for president is hard enough without having to answer even more questions about your party's frontrunner. There's an interesting balancing act going on here uh, with the other candidates in the Republican race to say that while we don't condone what former President Trump did, we don't think that it amounts to this idea of, of a federal indictment. We speak with Fox's John Roberts. I'm Dave Anthony. It's been another tough week in Ukraine with deadly Russian attacks targeting civilians in several cities. People are trying to, in some degree, to get on with their lives, but this war is touching everyone. This war is touching every family. Either people have been lost or they've been injured or or they've been put out of work. And I'm Jim Daly. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. A former president now twice indicted has been dominating the Republican side of the 2024 presidential race, though that field is still growing. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez filing his paperwork yesterday, a day after Donald Trump was arraigned in Miami in a federal case over the handling of classified documents. After pleading not guilty, Trump held a campaign event in New Jersey. A corrupt sitting president had his top political opponent arrested on fake and fabricated charges of which he and numerous other presidents would be guilty. Accusing the Biden administration of election interference and railing against special counsel Jack Smith, who's also overseeing a Trump-related January 6th investigation. Attorney General Merrick Garland defending Smith. As I said when I pointed uh, Mr. Smith, I did so because it underscores the Justice Department's commitment to both independence and accountability. The White House has denied any involvement in the Trump investigation. I was saddened as people around the country were to see a former president of the United States literally indicted in a court of law. But former Vice President Mike Pence, who's now running for president, also tells Fox Business's Larry Kudlow there are serious charges in the indictment. Now the president's entitled to make his defense. I look forward to hearing what defense he might have. But I... Uh, I can't defend what is alleged. Hillary Clinton, who lost to Trump in 2016, told the Pod Save America podcast on June 12th, it seems likely right now that Trump will be the nominee. The response that we've seen in polling from Republicans um, suggests that they're going to stick with him, that it's more of a cult than a political party at this point. A White House deputy spokeswoman recently declined to comment on Democrats fundraising off the Trump indictment, something Republicans are also doing, even while trying to navigate the questions and potential fallout from it. I think that a trial is everything here, and and more so than the trial itself is the timing of the trial. John Roberts is co-anchor of America Reports on Fox News Channel. If former President Trump can delay the proceedings until after the election, 
then, of course, all bets are off. Uh, People will have to make a decision as to whether or not they want to vote for somebody who's under indictment at least twice. Because don't forget, there's still the two outstanding cases of January 6th and then the case in, in Georgia. Who knows? By the time the election comes around, there may be four indictments against the former president. But people have to weigh the idea of voting for somebody who's under indictment with the direction that they want this country to go in. Uh, There is a large belief that Biden is not the person to lead this country into the next four years. Uh, Will it be Trump or could it be someone else? You know, that's something that will go down during the primary process. But if the former president can use delaying tactics, legal tactics, to delay this at least until after the initial primaries, and and then if he becomes uh, the nominee, uh, delay it until after the election, it's going to be a wild card as to how this turns out. Now, Lisa, if this trial were to take place, as Jack Smith wants it to, in a speedy timeline, uh, and you have a conviction, well, then all bets are off. And and I don't know what happens. But if he can delay it, I think that uh, he's got a fair chance of becoming the nominee. and, And who knows how the general election will turn out. Some of the other Republicans in the race have raised concern about the handling of documents while also still criticizing the indictment, can can they continue to straddle that line? I, you know, I think that Mike Pence probably straddled that line very well in what he said uh, recently, where he said that he look, there's no way to defend the actions, but then again, he believes that it, the indictment was probably perceived as being overtly political. Uh, you have Vivek Ramaswamy who came out before the court appearance in Miami saying, if I become president, I will pardon. Donald Trump. And I think that anybody who's running on the Republican side should make the same promise. So there's there's an interesting balancing act going on here uh, with the other candidates in the Republican race to say that while we don't condone what former President Trump did, we don't think that it amounts to this idea of, of a federal indictment. And Marco Rubio was very adamant about that when he was appearing on on my program, America uh, Reports, the other day, along with Sandra, uh, in which he said, what's the cost of this prosecution? And does the president's conduct really amount to the links that the government is going to go to, which will inevitably divide the nation even further? You have a lot of experience in in the news business, covering politics and covering the Trump White House, in fact. Are you concerned about how ugly this election could get? I think it's already getting ugly. I was pleased to see yesterday during the arraignment that the protesters outside, while they were you know vocal and they were boisterous to some degree, uh, were very peaceful uh, as to whether or not that will hold is something that we have yet to see. But I think that the stark political divisions in this country, particularly among Trump supporters, when they're taken into consideration, will become even deeper. The more they believe that the former president is being persecuted by the current administration, the hotter they will get. And I think that we will see the divisions that have already riven this country get even deeper. How hard does this drama make it the drama surrounding Trump and and his many legal challenges, um, how hard does that make it for other Republican candidates to get airtime or to get traction? You know, is this bad news, for instance, for a candidate who was hoping to run on policy? Well, former President Trump probably didn't want it to happen in the way that it did (laughs) in Miami, but he absolutely sucked all the air out of the room 
in terms of the 2024 campaign. Uh, it was all about Donald Trump uh, in Miami. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy came out, and all he did was he talked about the former president. All of the other candidates who were asked about it, all they could talk about was the former president. And Biden couldn't get a word in edgewise. He was giving a speech last night at the same time the former president was talking in Bedminster. And, and who do you think people were listening to? Uh, again, I'm sure that the former president would want it to happen under different circumstances. But he has command of the news cycle again. And anytime he comes out and talks about this, he's obviously going to get noticed. And I took a look at a a new poll that came out in the wake of the indictment uh, being filed against the former president, and he he has not waned at all in the polls. He is still over 50 percent. He's still got 30 points on his nearest rival, Ron DeSantis, and I expect that's going to continue. Do you think this Vivek Ramaswamy pardon pledge is going to become some kind of a litmus test for the other candidates? I think it potentially could. There was already a litmus test to get into the August Fox News debate in Wisconsin, and that is that you have to pledge to support whoever becomes the eventual Republican nominee. And I think it's it's not going to happen as a criteria for the debate, but I think that there will probably be a similar charge to say, uh, you know, you, you will support pardoning the former president should you become the nominee and should you become president of the United States. And I think that anyone who doesn't agree to do that will be seen as less than by many Republican voters. I'm wondering if the other Republicans in the race would be able to draw moderate Republicans and swing voters to them if they're still being deferential to Trump. And then I guess the flip side of that would be, you know, could they win the nomination if they alienate too many Trump supporters, you know, if he were no longer in the race or no longer the front runner for some reason? Yeah, here's the trick for the other candidates. There, and, and here's an analogy that was used when I was filling in for Harris Faulkner the other day. There are two bodies of water, two lakes, if you will. And in one of them has got one person swimming in it, and that is Donald Trump. And these lakes represent Republican voters. And then there's the other lake that's got all these other candidates who are swimming in it. And no water is really passing between the two lakes. And that's the way it looks like it's going to go for the foreseeable future. May it change when we get into the actual primary process? Potentially. But you're going to have Donald Trump and his supporters who are steadfastly with him. And then you've got other Republicans who may be toying with some of the other candidates. Uh, But still, the former president has got the majority of the support. If for some reason Donald Trump falters and doesn't become the nominee, That's when fidelity to his ideas and to a large degree to him will play into another candidate trying to become the nominee. Because those Trump supporters, you've got to remember and you've got to take this into account that in mounting a challenge against him, you will need to appeal to those Trump voters. So walking that road is going to be very, very difficult, very precarious. It's, it's a long road for the voters, too, right? And I mean, Democrats tend to hit Republicans very hard over continued support for Trump, regardless of things that he's done or said. Hillary Clinton recently even using a cult reference. Could that backfire on Democrats or does that have traction around the country, you know, this this dissing of Trump loyal voters. 
I, I think every time Hillary Clinton comes out and says something else disparaging about Republican voters, uh, more people decide that they're probably going to vote Republican. Re- remember the basket of deplorables. That was probably the worst self-inflicted wound that she ever committed during that entire election campaign. Because she just, she in, in saying that, what she basically said was anybody who votes Republican is a deplorable person. And now that she said that the Republican Party is is a cult, anybody who votes for a Republican is now a cult member, even if you're an independent. If an independent voter wants to vote for a Republican, they want to feel good about it because it's the choice that they're making. And it's a choice that they're making based on who they think is the best person to take this country forward. And if they've got somebody like Hillary Clinton saying, oh, you're a cult member for doing that, that doesn't sit well with them. And I think it takes them further away from the Democratic Party. Do you think the media will cover Trump any differently in this election? Than they have for the last seven years? I think they will probably continue to cover the former president exactly the way that they have since the day he came down that escalator back in 2015. California Governor Gavin Newsom, often floated as a possible presidential hopeful, raised some eyebrows by agreeing to sit down with Fox's Sean Hannity. What do you think he's up to? You know, I appreciate the fact that he was willing to sit down with Hannity because I don't know of any other Democratic candidate. Uh, or Democrat at his level that would be willing to do that. And I know that Newsom and, and Hannity have known each other for a long time. But I think that he's trying to keep a toe in the water here. Uh, and and he may be playing for 2028. I, mean, I think he's definitely playing for 2028. But he also may be playing for 2024 if, if Joe Biden falters somehow. But that fall that he took at the Air Force Academy, uh, they, at an 80 years old, you take a fall like that, there's a chance you're not going to get up. There's a chance that that's going to send you to the hospital with a broken hip. And who knows how long you'll be out. Now, of course, if for some reason Biden between now and January the 20th of 2025 can't fulfill the duties of his office, Kamala Harris becomes the president. But if if Biden is seen as being weak enough that he can't continue as a candidate, that might let other Democrats into the race. And you know who's going to be at the head of the pack if a scenario like that were to happen. And that would be Gavin Newsom. So immediately he's playing for 2028. But he's also, I think, hedging his bets, making sure that he is primed and ready to run just in case Biden can't make it. John Roberts, co-anchor of America Reports. Thank you very much for your time. Great to talk to you, Lisa. This is Jim Daly with your Fox News commentary coming up. There's a lot more death and destruction in Ukraine. Russia has ramped up its attacks this week. That's President Volodymyr Zelensky calling Russians terrorists again for targeting evacuation routes, he says, in other areas amid drone and missile strikes that have hit several cities, including his hometown, Kriviri. Odessa was hit. So were areas in the Donetsk region. Much of the damage done to residential buildings. Meanwhile, there is a Ukrainian counteroffensive underway in areas Russia has taken over during the invasion that started in February of last year. The offensive is launched and the Ukrainians are making progress, uh, uh, making advances. Uh, it's still early days, uh, but what we do know is that the more land Ukrainians are able to liberate, um, 
the, the stronger hand they will have at the negotiating table. That's NATO leader Jens Stoltenberg meeting at the White House Tuesday with President Biden. We see our joint strength in modernizing uh, the relationship within NATO as well as providing assistance to uh, defense capabilities to uh, Ukraine. And the U.S. has just this week sent another $325 million worth of military aid, including tanks, artillery, and air defense, while Russia continues this week to target Ukrainian civilians hitting residential areas. It's sort of uh, the way Russia has been uh, working for many of these months. Greg Palcott is Fox's senior foreign affairs correspondent who's back in Kiev to do more reporting from the war front. There actually have been some missiles aimed at Kyiv, but the defenses around the capital here are pretty good. And although we heard the sirens go off in, in the middle of the night, uh, all of the missiles that were aimed at Kyiv were shot down. However, you are right. There are a couple of other major cities that were hit this week. Kriviri, that's the old hometown of President Zelensky. An apartment house there was hit badly. There were many uh, dead, many, many injured, and it was clearly a targeted a civilian move by Moscow. In the very important coastal city of Odessa, Russia launched several cruise missiles from a ship off the coast and uh, slammed into uh, the warehouse at, at the port area of the city as well as, yes, apartments, shops, and cafes. And so Russia is keeping the pressure on nationwide with its uh, vaunted uh, ballistic capacity while Ukraine is trying to make gains, Dave. Yeah, and of course we saw just uh, several days ago that dam collapse along the Dnipro River there in Ukraine. That was a catastrophe. Both sides have blamed each other for that one, right? Both sides have, but really most uh, authorities, most officials, most uh, learned experts are saying that it pretty much had to have been Russia, that they had to have exploded the dam from inside, uh, letting loose that flood of water. The latest news on that, Dave, is that the head of the uh, U.N. nuclear watchdog agency, the IAEA, is going down to Zaporizhia. That's near the dam. That's where there is uh, one of the biggest nuclear plants around, and it has a very important reservoir with the coolant water, and the fear is that that reservoir could go down as the larger reservoir has gone down with the dam break and really could endanger the plant and really create a nuclear catastrophe. There are no immediate concerns of that, but uh, long range, and I just mean maybe a month, two, or three out there, there are worries about yet another problem here in this region, Dave. Yeah, and that has been a concern since the war started. I mean, there have been times in which there were attacks around that power plant. The power plant lost power, had to go on backup generation. There have been concerns of a catastrophe there since this started. Absolutely. That's how Moscow is playing this, Dave. It is playing with the idea that they could uh, start a nuclear catastrophe around this plant. The the dam blast is being described as uh, the worst environmental disaster in, uh, in European history since way back in 1986, the Chernobyl nuclear uh, plant incident. And there have been other uh, measures, even even some smaller dams that Russia has gone after. So they are doing everything they can, everything they've got in their offensive uh, toolbox to uh, keep Ukraine on edge again, as Ukraine finally is trying to make some gains in the east and the south. 
Yeah, that's the counteroffensive. That's where the Ukrainian forces have been taking back some villages and towns that Russia had taken control of. We're not talking about major victories yet, though, in this counteroffensive for Ukraine, right? I mean, these are not the big Russian-held spots yet. Not yet, Dave. But what is seen is that this is certainly the leading edge of a counteroffensive, that there are probing uh, attempts, probing missions by the Ukrainian military in the south where they really would like to break into Russian territory, maybe even go down to the Black Sea and the east where there has been so much bloodshed and so much fighting over the past several months. We spoke to uh, one official out east now and that he is pleased with the progress that his troops have made so far. They've taken back about five or six small villages, but he even admitted to us this is not the major counteroffensive. We are getting ready. We are prepared. I think we will know that the real counteroffensive, that is the main thrust of it, is happening when we see lines and lines of Western armor. That's uh, American Bradley fighting vehicles, German Leopard tanks, you name it, going into uh, a serious action. So far, we have seen some armor on both sides and some armor getting hit on both sides, but in smaller numbers so far. But it's the leading edge of a counteroffensive, which the official here say could not only take weeks, but maybe months and months, Dave. You know, it's interesting because Russian leader Vladimir Putin was seemingly candid when he said that Russia is short when it comes to ammunition, communications equipment, drones, and all these other things. And he has said that there have been dozens of Ukrainian tanks destroyed in this counteroffensive, but Ukraine says more than three times that on the Russian side has been damaged. How much should we read into what Vladimir Putin had to say about his own arsenal? Yeah, you got to read the tea leaves on this. This was a uh, sort of a, a military reporters roundtable uh, discussion that he had, and he said the usual things that uh, that Russia is uh, winning the counteroffensive, that its uh, its casualties have been minimal compared to the uh, Ukrainians. But in the process of this, I think to validate or, or try to validate these claims of supremacy in the South and the East over Ukraine, he did say some stuff. Yeah, he said there were 54 Russian tanks, uh, if not destroyed, at least damaged in the last 10 days. That is a big number, and that, that is interesting. He, he almost let slip that he, Russia, was behind the dam blast, and he said, yes, there are shortages of supplies, including drones and ammunitions. Again, I think he was doing these sort of frank admissions to try to build up his broader push when he was discussing things with the uh, reporters that, again, Russia has the upper hand against Ukraine in this latest phase of the war, Dave. The casualties of this war are in the hundreds of thousands on the Russian and Ukrainian sides. Millions more have been displaced, Ukrainians fleeing the fighting. Others have been captured and are Russian prisoners. The other day, Greg Palcott went to a gathering of families in Kiev missing their loved ones. People like Yulia Kripon. Her father was seized last year. She hasn't seen him since. We are fighting for the rights of the people who can't fight. Moscow accuses them of espionage or terrorism or nothing at all. This man's friend Arena was just helping neighbors. This problem is giant, more than you can imagine. Unlike captured soldiers, there's no means to get non-combatants back. It's branded a war crime. 
Missing loved ones, enduring hard conditions, even torture. Of course, uh, we are hoping to see him, but I don't know when it will be. Ukraine has pressed Russia for their freedom with little response. This girl says, I miss my daddy very much. I want him to come home. That's Greg letting us hear some of the voices we don't hear so much in this more than year-long war. Yeah, it was, it was quite moving, Dave. Uh, first of all, I mean, the news this week is that there have been 100 Ukrainian prisoners of war swapped for 100 uh, Russian prisoners of war. And so that is a good thing. But there is this gray area of civilians. Some people think it's in the thousands, Ukrainian civilians who have been taken by Russian as Russia has occupied various areas, thrown into uh, prisons on that occupied territory or brought over to Russia. Russia. And uh, we spoke to families. We spoke to a young lady talking about her father. We talked to a whole family thinking about their father, their husband. Uh, another person was talking about his girlfriend. And they were doing nothing. You know, the Russians say, oh, it was espionage, it was terrorism. Uh, these, these civilians were actually participating in the war effort. But from everything that we've heard, these people were just maybe trying to help their neighbors or trying to spread the word or trying to bring some hope or maybe putting something on the Internet. And they've been taken away. And because they are civilians, Dave, there's a harder problem arranging swaps because, well, Ukraine hasn't taken a lot of Russian civilians. So there's no uh, give me to take that. So uh, these people who have been uh, without uh, missing their loved ones for maybe a year or more are really at a wit's end. And they're appealing to both the Ukrainian government and to the national community. And that's why they spoke with us. Now, Greg, you've gone to Kiev several times since this invasion started over a year ago you're back this time anything do you, is it the same the feeling of the people there do you notice anything different are they wearier now because it's continuing on and on and seemingly endlessly yeah, it's interesting stuff, Dave. Kiev got seriously hit by missiles and drones in, in May. So I'm not saying that this capital for several months has enjoyed kind of a, an eerie quiet, but since we have been here in the last a week or so, it has been that way. Again, as I've noted from the very strong air defenses that Ukraine has put up, the city, it's, it's a wonderful, big, bustling city. Uh, I'm sure Americans if in peaceful times would enjoy uh, visiting as tourists, uh, Restaurants are still open, bars are still open, people walking around, the curfew. I remember the last time I was here was very tight. You couldn't go on the street at 8 p.m. The curfew is now up to 11 p.m. So people are trying to, in some degree, to get on with their lives. But this war is touching everyone. This war is touching every family. Either people have been lost or they've been injured or they've been put out of work or they're, they're mostly contributing to the war effort. So. Yes, uh, on the surface, this capital looks like, to some degree, any kind of big city that you would find in Europe. But in reality, the war is still there in a very big way for these people, and it's hanging over their heads day and night, Dave. Greg Palcott, Fox News senior foreign affairs correspondent in Kiev reporting. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Meet the American who created the shopping cart. Sylvan Goldman invented the shopping cart in Oklahoma in 1936. Here's his ingenious story. Grocery store magnate Sylvan Goldman was the son of immigrants born in the Chickasaw Nation, now Oklahoma, in 1898. He served in World War I in Europe, requisitioning food for the U.S. military. Goldman 
bought the faltering Humpty Dumpty grocery chain in 1934, and he used innovative ideas to make it succeed. In 1936, Goldman put a shopping basket on wheels and created the first shopping cart. He tooled around with it in his carpentry shop. His original shopping cart was slightly different than the all-in-one model we know today. His combination basket and carriage, as he called it in the patent application, was a two-part unit. He filed the patent in 1937 and received it in 1939. At first, the public rejected the new convenience. Women reportedly retorted, I pushed my last baby buggy. However, Goldman hired people to push the cart around outside his grocery stores, and from there it took off. Sylvan Goldman's invention changed the world. Industry estimates vary, but several sources say about 100,000 grocery stores and supermarkets across the U.S. carry an average of about 200 to 250 shopping carts for a total of up to 25 million shopping carts. Americans today use 15 million shopping carts each day, while million more carts are used daily around the world. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jim Daly. What's on your mind? A radical bill being hotly debated in the Golden State threatens to label parents as child abusers if they decline to affirm their son or daughter's sexual confusion. AB 957 has already passed California's state assembly. It would require judges who are overseeing custody disputes with transgender children involved to favor the mother or father who supports the child's so-called new gender identity. Parents who choose to affirm their son or daughter's biological sex are considered out of bounds and out of luck. At the root of this dangerous legislation is a foundational belief that the constructive and compassionate thing to do when it comes to gender confusion is to go along with whatever the child is feeling at the moment. That premise is not only destructive, but it's also short-sighted and foolish. Cases of gender dysphoria or gender identity disorders have skyrocketed in recent years. Why is this happening? Sociologists report that much like teen suicide, gender-confused children run in clusters. If one child begins to question or act out, others soon follow. In some cases, it's become trendy and exotic to experiment with drugs and surgeries. In reality, it's terribly sad and also direct affront to God's beautiful design for humanity. My heart breaks for children who are struggling and for their parents struggling alongside them. The organization I lead, Focus on the Family, exists to help moms and dads guide their children and offer the critical help needed when kids are in crisis. Culture is leading and encouraging children down a dangerous path by affirming their sexual confusion. In fact, some medical practitioners and activists have even coined the misleading term gender-affirming care to describe the dark deed of irreversibly mutilating and altering children's bodies. 
Despite the explosion of this confusion and abuse here in the United States, traditionally more progressive countries in Europe appear to be waking up to this reality. The Norwegian Healthcare Investigation Board recently recommended that so-called sex change operations and puberty blockers be used in research settings, but not on children. They're finally acknowledging that there's no science to justify these abusive acts. The independent government watchdog group said, the knowledge base, especially research-based knowledge for gender-affirming treatment, that's their term, is deficient and the long-term effects are little known. The board went on to say, this is particularly true for the teenage population where the stability of their gender incongruence is also not known. Whether in business or family life, leadership is knowing reality and suggesting solutions to problems. Affirming confusion and outright falsehoods doesn't help children in any way. In fact, it enslaves them to a lifetime of regret. We owe our children both truth and compassion. They deserve to have situational clarity, but California legislators are serving up only lies and confusion. For Focus on the Family, I'm Jim Daly. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I've been saving the world for a while now on this podcast, and I'm ready to take it to the next level starting on June 26th. You can listen to me, Kennedy, five days a week right here. Listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.